if you missed it. <laughs> I simply asked, and what's a Christian? And answered for you what a Christian is. And that is, a Christian is somebody who follows Jesus Christ. The term first comes up in the book of Acts. There's a lot of Christians already before they're called a Christian. In the book of Acts, there's a bunch of them gathered in Antioch, a small town, and they need to know what to call them. And so the rest of the people in town, you know, like, what do we call those people over there? The people who talk about Jesus all the time. Christian. Little, little Jesuses. is kind of a Christianissimo. You know, there's just those, those little Christ, those people who want to be like Christ. But it's exactly fitting. That is what a Christian is, is somebody who simply wants to be like Christ. Our scripture passage today is Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at the very first Christians who were called by Jesus. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, I'm reading out of the Pew Bible that's right in front of you, and I'm on page 857. So if you'd like to follow along, but you didn't bring your own Bible, you can open up the Pew Bible right in front of you to page 857, and you can read along with me. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. The small title there is The First Disciples. Let me say a prayer for us, and then let's read Scripture and see what Jesus says about what one of his followers ought to look like. Father God, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like to be a Christian, and then that we would follow and obey joyfully. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is speaking of Jesus, and it says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fisher for people. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. And this is a short passage for us today. It's awfully short, yeah? Uh, But it tells you a whole lot about what someone who follows Christ looks like. And the first thing that it shows us is this. Jesus doesn't necessarily choose the best but he chooses the willing. The idea in this culture is being a fisherman, as you might expect, as it is in our society, isn't the top rung of the social ladder. In Jewish culture at the time, to be a rabbi, you had to be the best educated. And then of all those who were the best educated, the current group of rabbis would kind of walk amongst them and decide who was the best of the best and then pick those ones out and say, okay, you can follow me. And I'll be your rabbi, and you can be my follower, and I'll teach you how to be a rabbi like me. But they only did it for the most highly trained ones, and even the best of that class. It was incredibly elite. And then Jesus goes and walks over to some hardworking fishermen, and he says, You guys, y'all are the ones who are going to come and follow me. Uh, The NFL draft happened this year, back in April and May. I'm excited about football season and always optimistic about the Dallas Cowboys. I like to hope against hope for them uh, every year and be disappointed. But the draft happened back in April and May. And when you go into the draft, you know, the teams get to pick by rounds, and they're trying to pick for the best. 
What they want to do is pick the very best players they can. So who went first in the draft this year? Oh, that'd be Trevor Lawrence from Clemson University. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You disappointed about that? Your college team should get a different quarterback then, maybe, because he was the best. There's no guarantee of success in the NFL, as you see year after year, but they went for the best. Second spot, went to another quarterback, Zach Wilson, and on and on from there. Quarterbacks first and then what they need. But they, the teams pick one by one, and they, they look at all the candidates. They send out scouts. They take a look at the football season. They watch a lot of tape of these guys playing, and they pick whoever the very best is. And, and let's say you're a football player. What do you need? What characteristics do you need in order to be a top draft You've got to be gifted. I mean, you've got to be gifted. Some of them are just phenomenal athletes, and it's crazy. But you also have to be hardworking. It's not just the gifted ones. There's some guys who work and put in the effort uh, to know what's going on. You, they only take the most gifted, but also the hardest working. They're looking for the smartest. It doesn't matter if you're physically fit and dumb. You're not going to know what's happening uh, when it comes time on the field to think about what is going on on the field. It takes a lot of intelligence to know what's happening. You have to be smart. You have to be disciplined. You have to be gifted, and it's only those who are really driven who get picked. These are the characteristics, at least to these. So what are the characteristics of the disciples that Jesus calls? Do the followers of Christ have to be the smartest? The most disciplined? Following Christ, do you have to be gifted? Is it only the most gifted who get called? It's not. Is it the most driven people? No, see, when the NFL draft is picking for players, what they're looking for is what can that player bring to the team. But what do you and I bring to Christ's team? Nothing, as it turns out that he's not lacking anything, that he needs us. He has everything that he needs, and so there's no competency or skill. You don't have to be an incredibly gifted person to be used by God because he has all the gifting. In fact, once you come to trust in God, he gives you the gifting by the Holy Spirit. He gives you the empowerment that you didn't have if you weren't an inherently strong or powerful person. He gives you everything you need. He doesn't take the best he takes whoever is willing to follow him. When I first learned this, this is great news for me. This is great news for all of us. You don't have to examine yourself today to find out if you're the kind of person that Christ will accept. He has chosen you already and wants you to be a part. He doesn't take the best. He takes us where we are and brings us onto his team and then builds us up to become like him. So then in all things, he is this great, perfect, good, kind, generous God to all of us. He would have you today if you would have him. The second thing you see here is not just that he goes out and he picks who he wants out here of uh, not amongst the best of the best, but amongst just some hardworking guys at their job. The second thing you'll notice is that they're not looking for him. He's looking for them. Christ chooses them. They don't choose him. Christ is the one who comes up to them and says, hey, come on, let's go, follow me. And this is the same way it is for all of us. 
it's not an evaluation question for you today, will you choose Christ? But it starts with his work, not ours. Christ has chosen you. His desire is that Christ should have died for your sins so that you could follow after him. Christ's desire is to make you new. You know judgment comes for our sins and that we've all sinned and done wrong. So yeah, someday there will be judgment for all of us. But I've got great news for you today. Christ's desire is not that you would face judgment for your sins. His desire is that he would have been the one who faced that judgment for you. He didn't, he didn't die on the cross because he wanted to make you feel bad about yourself. He died on the cross because he wanted to pay for your sins and bring you onto his side and draw you into him. Christ has chosen you already. You among all people. I love that we're singing His Eyes Are on the Sparrow this morning, and not just because I like a good bird-themed song, uh, but also because it's so true. He's watching over all of this. If He's watching over all of those, just as Jesus said, this isn't just some song someone made up, Christ said. He's watching over all of creation. His eyes on the smallest piece of it. Of course He has a plan for you. And of course, he has chosen you to follow after him. Yes, you need to make a decision today that you are going to follow Christ. These disciples did, in fact, have to get out of the boat and go following after them, him. But he comes to them first, and he comes to us first. He comes to us in his word, which is proclaimed to you today. He comes to us through a messenger, anyone who would tell you about Christ. And all of us here today will tell you about Christ. Jesus says elsewhere in John chapter 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give to you. He will not force you. You do need to offer yourself to him today. You know, one of, one of the neatest verses in Scripture is right at the end. What happens is, you get the whole story of everything. Scripture begins with creation, and it ends with Christ's second coming and setting everything right and on into eternal life. Somewhere in the middle, he calls Israel to be a chosen nation. He blesses them. They go through slavery. They come out of slavery. They go back into slavery because they're sinful. But then, at just the right time, God sends them a king, even better than their old king, David, in the line of David, but the king that he sends them is actually fit to lead them perfectly, and it's Jesus Christ himself. God comes down to be their king, to offer salvation and forgiveness to them and to all of us. Christ dies on the cross for our sins. He ascends into heaven, and he tells every last one of those who are following him, those who would be called Christians, that their job now is to go out in the world and make disciples and teach them how to be obey obedient to Christ and baptize them. And that's what we're doing, and it shows at just the right time Christ will return, that he is at work in the world today. Though there is great evil in the world, he is in control and will steer it forward to its right conclusion. And then right here at the end, in chapter 22, having told about everything, there's this explanation about what is going on right now. And what's going on right now is this, Revelation 22, 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let anyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life take it freely. 
What's happening now in your life, in the world, is the Holy Spirit of God moving around in this room and in this world, saying to people, come to me, just like he called those disciples out of their fishing boats. And the bride, that is the church, all of us saying together, come, come to Christ, calling you to drink from this stream of water, this spiritual truth. If you read the rest of Revelation, you see this, the water is Christ. And that everyone who comes to him, who drinks, will never be thirsty again. Scripture says that this water is the water of eternal life. Not only does it actually give you satisfaction in life, where nothing else could, no sin, no other behavior, no other God, but it also nourishes us on into eternity and eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have, by way of illustration today, this really neat cross here today. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see it over there yet, but hold on. We'll get sorted to it. Uh, This cross was made by one of our members, actually, John Motika, who is sitting over in the overflow this morning. And uh, this uh, this here, the inlay is rich walnut uh, and looks like it. And this base is all rich walnut with some beautiful gnarls in it. But this piece back here, the main piece of it, is an old piece of salvaged pine from an old historic downtown house here in Aiken, uh, beveled out. Uh, so that you can see the fresh wood again after all those decades and decades. You can even, if you come close to it, you can see the nail marks in it from where it's been working. You see the scars and scratching. It's, we got the beautiful piece of wood here, but we also have this piece, well used and worn, set up for work, not for beauty. And John, you'll see it, uh, we'll put after this Sunday, this cross will go into the lobby and stay there for a while. But the plaque on the back reads this. This cross was built from a discarded beam from a house circa 1917, located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. It represents the transformation that occurs when we ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives. The old wood represents the old person. It's broken. It's full of holes. It's rough. It's without purpose. The carved inner cross represents the cleansing process when Jesus Christ removes our sin. The top cross represents the new person, unblemished and prepared for eternity with our Lord. What a powerful image of what Christ does when he comes into our lives. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses those who are willing. Are you willing today to be Christ's? And Jesus chooses us, not us, him. But you do need to make a commitment today to say, okay, Jesus, please do that for me. Take the old and make it new. Remove this old sinful heart with all these desires and give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. I'm going to follow after you all of my life. The next thing that our passage teaches us is that our primary calling is not to work with him, not to work for him first, but to be with him. Our primary calling is to be with him. He has good work for us to do. He made us on purpose. We, We would like good work to do. Anyone who's been out of a job for a long time knows how terrible it is, and you need purpose, you need work, you want to do something meaningfully. We're made for it. But our primary purpose is not what we bring since we don't bring anything, although he does have purpose for us. The primary purpose is to follow him, 
to be with him. These disciples are going to leave their boats and their nets to go and walk with Jesus, and it's the same call for us. Following Christ, it's not like an army. You remember the old song, that I'm in the Lord's army, and it's a good one, and it's nostalgic, and it's fun, and it's fun to sing every now and again, and it's true because we have our purpose, but that's not primarily what it is. Primarily Christ's calling is that you should know him and be with him. It's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's not a campaign trail where you're going to go to work in the kingdom of Christ and never actually meet the guy, or maybe get your photo taken with him once and be able to put that on your wall, but otherwise work for him and never know him. No. Christ wants you to know him today. He wants us to know him and become like him. And there are two ways that he does this. First, by his word. The more you hear his word, scripture, then the more you will come to know him and who he is and what he wants for your life and what he is like. After all, this is mostly what I'm doing today is just telling you what Christ is like. It's the best job in the world. I just, it's just good news. I get to tell you what he is like. I get to tell you that he's the kind of person who chooses you, this God of ours, and that he's kind and gentle and loving towards you. The way we know this is through his word. The primary way that we come to know him is through his word, but also through his spirit. That God is not far away, but he is near to us. Holy Spirit is calling you today to put your trust in Christ if you have not. And if you are a Christian and you have made a decision to follow after him and have been, then the Holy Spirit is with you, in you. Not just empowering you to survive, but also strengthening you towards following God. Sometimes it looks like a parent steering a child. Have you ever had to actually physically steer a child or herd them? Frequently it is, like the old saying goes, herding cats. This happened last night. I was trying to steer a child towards the bathtub. And uh, gently, ever so gently, you know, put my hand on said child's back and say, no, 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 bath time, come on, let's walk this way. No, no, not that way. Come over here this way. You know, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. We're, we're going to make it to the bath. We can do this. Uh, and we can be done with this. And then uh, we can go to bed here a little bit. But sometimes it's like a physically steering and directing them. And sometimes... The child's physically pushing back on me, resisting the steering, trying to say gently, not violently. This is the way we're going. No, no, no. Focus, focus. Turn your head this way. We're walking over that way. And they're, no, I don't want to. I'm trying to steer them towards the tub so that they can get cleaned off, sleep better, and have a better day the next day. It is often this way how God steers us by the Holy Spirit. He steers us by his word, and he steers us by his spirit. And he is directing you to the good life, just as Jesus said to those fishermen, come on, follow me. And they could walk after him and hear his words. So the spirit of God calls you today to say, come, follow me, and we can read his words and know what he wants for us. When you hear his voice today, don't push back against it. Don't be like an obstinate child saying, no, I don't want to do that. But rather, when you hear his word today, say, yes, Lord, and allow him to steer you in the way that he wants you to go. Take full advantage in your life of the gathering of the church where we get together to proclaim his word and to worship him in one spirit. Gathering for worship helps you to know him better. Take advantage of our Sunday school classes. Go to one today. They start at 11 after we're done in here and read his word and know his word with other believers 
Start a Bible study group. group. Read Scripture in your family. Do these sorts of things because the primary calling of God is not what we can do for Him, but simply knowing Him, enjoying His presence, and enjoying the way that He is changing our lives and making us right, that is, making us like Christ. Don't resist or push back against him, but follow him joyfully and willingly, knowing that he will lead you toward salvation and eternal life. The next thing we see in this passage is that in order to follow him, you will have to leave things behind. These disciples have to leave behind their boats and their nets. Jesus calls them, and they immediately hop out of their boats and their nets. This is their career. And they're not like out there working for the man. It's their boat. It's their business. And they have to leave it behind to follow Christ. Did you see what James and John had to leave behind? Their father. They left their father there so that they could go and follow and fulfill the calling of Christ. Disciples of Christ have to leave their jobs sometime and leave their families sometimes. You know, following Christ, you might not lose your job. You might not lose your family by the grace of God, but you might. And yet, will you follow Christ? I know perhaps humorously, some of you guys are out there thinking, can I lose my job for Christ? I'm tired of this job. <laughs> what a, please, Jesus, call me. <laughs> Take me away. Perhaps even, <laughs> can I skip out on some family Thanksgiving things for Christ? Please call me away. I'm sorry, I can't make Thanksgiving. I've got a mission trip I'll be on. Darn. <laughs> um. But we might be called away from being close to our families, and we might lose stability, careers that we love, in order to follow Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I consider it all worth nothing compared to the joy I have in following Christ. If it is the calling for you, it won't be a problem. But it is to say, you can't follow Christ. Think about it physically and visually. You can't follow someone while holding on to something else. You can't be holding on with a death grip to something in your life, some old behavior habit, some hobby that you love, family career. You can't be holding on to something, even something good, and also be trying to follow Christ. You'll never actually be able to do it. And it, maybe your life looks like this right now, that you said, I'm going to follow Christ, but I've gotten this far. This is pretty good, yeah. I'm at least turned in the right direction. But there are things for all of us that we will simply have to let go of in order to actually do the work of following Christ. But I tell you, it is always worth it and always good following him, and we will find the joy of our souls. Finally, the thing that you see in this passage is that he commands his disciples to be fruitful, to catch fish, two good metaphors for it, to spiritually reproduce. He looks at them and he says, metaphorically of course, he says, you guys know how to fish, great. From now on, you're going to be catching men. 
I'm going to send you after people so that you can draw them into the kingdom. While they were catching fish, now they're going to be like announcing heralds, if you will. They'll be the ones trumpeting and letting everybody else know. They'll be the ones on the street corner. They'll be the ones inside the synagogues. They'll be the ones who go to the ends of the earth as they know it in order to let people know this good message that God wants those other people too, all of them, that Christ died for every last one of them. Is there a heart beating in their chest? Christ died for them too. Every last person made in the image of God and the work of Christ for all of us, for you as well. So how do you prove you're a disciple? By bearing fruit. And if you are not bearing fruit, you have a reason to question whether you are a disciple or not. Jesus says, my Father is glorified by this, that you would produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus tells his disciples how to bear fruit in the famous Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we're going to do as a church together across the next month or so is we're going to go through this who is your one training. And this is essentially, if we're going to use the fishing metaphor, when it comes to helping other people trust Christ, this is like getting on a charter boat where they bait the hook for you and drop the line down. This is somebody else doing all the work so it's as easy as it could possibly be for you. This is making it as simple as possible. All we're going to do together is think of one person that we know who we would love to see put their trust in Christ, who we would love to see find a fulfilling life in Christ. And we're simply going to pray for them every day of the week for one month. This is a really simple sort of task. This is the easiest possible way to do this. All you have to do is commit to praying for a person. And then this booklet gives you, page by page, a different prayer each day of the week that you can pray for somebody. Let's say, here's day one. I'll give it to you. So let's say I'm praying for my neighbor, Eric. Great guy, good family, but not a believer. And I'd love to see him trust Christ because if, I just love to see him trust Christ. So it starts with a scripture. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Here's the prayer. God, I know there's only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He's the only hope for a lost and dying world, and that includes Eric. His salvation depends on acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is and alone is the source of salvation. So I pray that you would use people and circumstances in Eric's life today to point him to the reality of Jesus. Give me courage and boldness to call Eric to follow you when the opportunity arrives, and to help me make it clear that there is no other way to be saved. Would you join in praying this for just one person? It couldn't get easier than this. It's, it's awfully simple. Um, I had a dream once, a long time ago, uh, for my dad. And uh, this was after he was uh, he had been a pastor for a long time. I was a children's pastor. He was thinking about retiring. He was probably 62 and thinking towards retirement. But I had this dream, and I don't really know what happened in the dream, but I woke up and I went to him. I said, Dad, I had this dream. And it went along the lines of this. 
that somehow your most fruitful days of ministry are still ahead of you, is what I felt like God said. I know you've been doing this for a long time. You're thinking about retirement, but I think maybe your most fruitful days of ministry are actually going to be ahead of you. And uh, I'm really proud of who my dad is and the pastor that he is. Even in retirement now, sometime seven hours ago, he preached his first sermon at a church in Germany where he and mom are there to do an interim at this church outside of Rammstein Air Force Base uh, there in, in West. He'll be there for three months. Uh, he's doing an interim while the pastor there takes a break and comes back to the States for a while. And so uh, they're there, serving and worshiping, willing to go. And I know, speaking of humble brags, right? Uh, we, we talked about that last week. Here we are all doing it. Listen, I don't care. I'm, I'm so proud. I'm so honored uh, to get to be a son. But what if for you, you've been following Christ for a long time, but what if, what if your most fruitful year is this year? Uh, what if your greatest work in Christ's name actually is still ahead of you? I mean, what if this year you bear more fruit than we have in all the years beforehand? What if, for some of you who are newer to faith, what if you get the honor of being the kind of person who helps somebody else change their life and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? It's going to start in a very simple way, committing to praying for them. We have a final object lesson for you today, this tree here that is at the moment bare. In the lobby, they have a lot of leaves for you. And what you're going to do is, as you go out, this tree is going to be taken out of the lobby. I just wanted it for an object illustration here. I'm going to take a leaf and write somebody's name on it that you're praying for. And you can go and simply hang it on the tree with everybody else. And we'll leave it in the lobby there to be praying together for all of these people in hopes that we can see some fruit come into their lives. We've got a couple of people in our church who have already been doing this and praying for them. Y'all go ahead and come on up. Whoever, uh, y'all, y'all people who are... Terry and Martha Fletcher have been putting this together, and so some from their Sunday school class are do this. But y'all come on up and join with me. I'm going to be praying for my neighbor, Eric. I'm praying for the rest of you guys, the leaves are on the lobby and the tree is about to be taken out to the lobby for you. So uh, they're going to take it out there so you can grab one out there on the way out and, uh, and take one as you go. But take a moment and be praying about uh, what God has for you. In the meantime, if you need to come forward today to make a fresh commitment to Christ or to offer your life to him, come on. We're going to sing a hymn as we close. You want to come go ahead and get the tree and take it? You can. But while we're singing this hymn, if you need to come forward today, you can. If if you need to come forward today to kneel here at the steps, at the altar, at the foot of the cross, and spend some time praying to God or making a fresh commitment to Him, you can. If you can't kneel and you just want to stand at the rail, you can do that too. Just come on and pray as long as you like, and no one will bother you, and you can go and be seated when you're finished. If you need prayer today, come forward. I would love to pray for you, whatever's going on in your life. Let me say a prayer for you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now's your chance. You don't have to have the right words to say. The disciples didn't say anything here. They just made a decision that they would follow him. So just come forward today and say, Jesus will be my Lord too. Jesus is Lord. And do it publicly and we're going to rejoice with you. If you need to be baptized, come forward today and let us know. And I'll find a Sunday soon for you to be baptized. And if you need to become a member of Talatha Baptist Church, you can come forward and ask the congregation to accept you as a member. For whatever reason, now's your chance. Let's stand up. Let's worship Christ in song, and for whoever needs to come forward, now's your chance. Come on.